Penn State football dominated Indiana on Saturday. They won 24 to nothing. A shutout victory for the Nittany Lions. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, on the BWI Live Show. What should you take away from that? Should you be encouraged by Penn State doing what they did to Indiana in a revenge game at Beaver Stadium under the lights? We're going to get into that today with uh, the guys from Blue White Illustrated. Nate Bauer, senior editor, writer at Blue White Illustrated. Dave Eckert joining me today. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Uh, Dave, start with you first off. Good afternoon. Happy lunchtime show. What did you take away from that game? Should Penn State fans feel encouraged by the way Penn State played on Saturday? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, hello to you, Frank. Hello, Nate. Um, happy to be with you. But yeah, you know, I, I, I guess my personal answer is I'm not deriving a ton from it, um, it, it other than you know, that Penn State's defense is capable of that type of performance. You know, we, we, we knew that they were good. We didn't know that they could be that good. Um, so maybe that's my one takeaway. But as far as large scale over overarching, you know, derivations from that game, I'm not sure that there's a ton that I'm pulling away. Um, you know, they, they beat an Indiana offense that struggled, a quarterback that really struggled um, without playing that great on offense themselves. Um, and they did what they have to do. Look, if you're a good football team, you should be able to to win games against, you know, decent, pretty good opponents when you're not clicking. And I think that's what you saw. Nate, what about you? What are you taking away from that game? Yeah, I, I never thought that Indiana truly posed a threat. And that was kind of the big, right? Like, Penn State had a 14 to nothing lead at the half and it could have been 75. Like it just, it, it made no difference. Um, just because Indiana offensively had no answers. There was really nothing that Indiana could do to, um, sustain any type of its possessions. And, you know, when Penn State is taking away all of the deep options, um, you know, they're just, they're not getting beat for long touchdowns. That means that, you know, the opponent offenses have to take, you know, this kind of mature, methodical approach uh, to getting into the end zone. And, you know, uh, look, the 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 results are in Penn State's defense is better than right. Like, I mean, it's just if you if you give Penn State's defenses enough opportunities um, you know, they're, they're going to eventually shut you down. I, I mean, it's, it's funny because we talked about it last week, but James Franklin is openly talking now, uh, you know, about Ben, but don't break, right? Like it, it's, uh, this kind of, <laughs> they didn't have to do it's, either it's, on Saturday. <laughs> well, it's, it's this, it's this like boogeyman buzz phrase that, that fans seem to hate sometimes, right? Like Ben, but don't break is this, right. is this bad thing? But it is Penn State's recipe for success. That is like, that is exactly what they want to do. They are willing to bend. They will not break, uh, and you get a twenty-four to nothing win as a result. Yeah. So we're gonna get into the defensive side of the ball to start because that really is the thing that dictated this game from uh, the first kickoff to the final whistle was the Penn State defense playing. Uh, a a really dominant game, and, and and I don't think it's fair to start anywhere else other than on that side of the ball. I try to be a positive person and try to look at good things first. You know, just from a even from a play standpoint, I thought they were excellent on Saturday. I feel like I'm the only person that has a positive view of what Penn State did on Saturday. Even the people that are that have been in the comments section, everyone wants to point out the flaws without first appreciating, especially for fans, some of the, the good things that the the team did. This Penn State defense has never been as dominant as they've been so far this season. I think that's clear. And uh, if you want to get a question in the chat, you know, obviously the the bad things and the things that you're concerned about are the things you're going to ask about. So naturally, we'll get more of those questions. And I don't want to discourage anyone from asking what's on their mind. If you want to use the Super Chat function, go for that. Donate to the stream. Help us uh, keep the lights on here at Blue White Illustrated on YouTube. We appreciate you joining us here on this Monday. Um, but Nate, and we will be answering your questions throughout the show. Nate, I want to start with the defense. And and yeah. I, I think maybe it's because of what I just said. But where does that rank to you? Or how much do you take away from that defensive performance as far as 
have you seen this from that team before? So, so uh, just one thing that I wanted to address based on what you just said uh, about how, about like not appreciating what was great. Do you know what was awesome from Penn State's performance on Saturday night? The punting. <laughs> I figured that was coming. Like, I figured that right, was like, coming. Yeah. Like Jordan Stout wins. And, but that's just it. There are areas of the game that are just not sexy that Penn State is proving itself to be excellent at. And yeah. so when it when it doesn't work in your favor, they're the first things to be criticized, right? Clock management and yep. uh playing the field position game. Like they they are the foundational elements of the game that when it's not working are so easy to point out and so easy to criticize, but they're also the first things that you overlook when they are going well. And so Penn State like just again like 24 to nothing does not make you think oh that's a dominating win that's a blowout win it was from the opening whistle until the final seconds a blowout win yeah um and so yeah no like when when you talk about where does the defensive performance rank um you know i i kind of think that they've done this before um I, you know to to that level yeah maybe a little bit less frequently but no, I mean, if if you look back at Penn State's most successful seasons, obviously the 16-year defense, um, you, you know, uh, the 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 scoring numbers, right? They they, they got into some some track meets, um, but 17 had great defensive scoring numbers, and 19 had great defensive scoring numbers, right? Like if you can if you can consistently go out and feel like you can hold a team to 17, 14, 10, seven points, you're going to win a ton of games, right? Like, I mean, yeah. it's just, it's very formulaic, but that's kind of the bottom line there uh, in terms of, of what Penn State's approach is and it's working. Uh, yeah. that That's really all there is to it. So I, I think this is, we're going to get to this a little bit later of understanding what you're seeing as far as a good defense. And I think this is applicable to what we're talking about with the Penn State defense and an incompetent offense. So, Dave, I want to come to you with this question. The Penn State run defense was excellent on uh, Saturday night. Did it do enough to prove to you that it has taken a step forward from the beginning of the season and especially that game against Wisconsin and, and obviously the, the second half against Auburn where they were giving up some bigger runs and there were some issues and questions and concerns from Penn State fans? Did they do enough on Saturday to make you feel like that's an improved unit? Yeah, I, I guess just to answer this question, Indiana's kind of a nice baseline to to do it because Indiana's played some very good defenses and very good teams so far. So I, I pulled their yards per carry numbers against Iowa. Um, they, they, they had two and a half yards per carry against Cincinnati, who just beat Notre Dame this weekend. They had 4.1 yards per carry. And then um, this weekend they had 2.9 yards per carry against Penn State. So yeah, that's that's a very good, very very good performance by Penn State's rushing defense. Um, as far as you know, what it, what it proves, I think it, it proves to me that you know may, maybe I was wrong to be a little bit as concerned as I was at the beginning beginning of the season about it, given what they showed against Wisconsin. Um, but uh, on the other hand, there's some mitigating factors here, right? Uh, Michael Penix, even when he was, you know healthy was was not having a good, a good game um so <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I think it was it's it's safe to say that penn state could um maybe stack the box a little bit more uh but as far as what it proves it it proves that th there's no real holes in this penn state defense to me um there's there's no here's the point you attack this point you beat penn state's defense and uh, from the first game or two of the season, I thought, you know, maybe that is the running game for this defense, and it's not. Um, it's clearly not, so that's that's kind of what I'm taking away. Penn State had six pass breakups on the day. Uh, another stellar performance from the secondary, uh, and that's where I, I want to go next because the, the secondary itself has been uh, the, the leader of this team. 
not just the defense, but the leader of this team. Uh, and I guess that's why when I'm asking these questions and I'm kind of directing this conversation, I keep coming back to this is the best unit that they've had from a production standpoint, a game-changing production standpoint. If you can have a good secondary, you can be in any game. Uh, Nate, I guess this comes back to the question of have they been tested by an actual quarterback? Because uh, people who watch this so far will say, well, Graham Mertz hasn't been good. Bo Nix was, I think, benched at one point. And as we pointed out, Michael Penix refused to hold on to the ball. He refused to uh, get anyone near him in the pocket. And that led to basically, uh, you know, an underneath passing attack that Pense could jump on. Is this, should you feel confident that going into Iowa City, this defensive secondary is going to hold up and continue to play the way that they're playing? Yes, because college quarterbacks stink. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. That's it. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm saying, obviously, there's like, uh, I'm being dramatic, but they're just not proficient. They're not at the level that, they're going to be a surgeon, right? Like they're not going to pick you apart. Most, um, most, most college quarterbacks are going to give you opportunities. And I think that what's happening, what I'm seeing is this is a, this is, there are two pieces to the equation, right? And we're talking about the secondary because the rest of the defense has been so for proficient stopping the run, right? If, if, if opponents felt like they could beat Penn State on the ground, they would do that. They would not be forced into these passing situations uh, in which Penn State's secondary has been able to pounce, right? Like, it, it changes the dynamic of the equation from, all right, not really sure what this offense is going to do, right? Like, are, are they going to run? Are they going to pass? Like, what's going to happen? Well, no, if you're consistently finding yourself in third and long situations, well, to Penn State, that's gold, right? Like that is Penn State's defense just licks its chops under those circumstances because they know that they have the upper hand. They know what's coming. But uh, I would and, I would I would counter with this, Nate, and it's that Penn State's been able to do that in the past. Like they've had good run defense in the past, and they've still given up those plays, either underneath or in, in situations where they've allowed things down the field. That that has been the bugaboo of this team of they play a great team tight and then later in the game, plays are made down the football field and this year, this team is getting their hands on the ball. And they're, they're, to me, there seems to be a tangible difference with the secondary. Yeah, but I, I don't know if that's like, I mean, I guess that's true in two or three situations a year, right? Like, uh, it, but but that has not been... Was it the case last year? Absolutely. They got burnt and they got dominated, <laughs> right? Like the past, well, the, yeah. the, the past, right? Like yeah. the passing defense was a disaster last season uh, until they figured it out up front. But uh, I just think that from a strategic standpoint, this has been what Brent Pry has been trying to do for years and to some success right like he like i mean you can't really argue with the scoring numbers end of the day the the scoring numbers that brent pry has produced uh with his defenses over you know the past right like 2017 right. they were seven right like they've got multiple years holding opponents under an average of 21 points per game that will win you football games the difference that i see this season is they're creating turnovers that right. that is like yep. that is the the massive bridge that they have been trying to cross for years because they've had those other elements in check right like they've had uh the the run stuffing defense but they haven't had the ability to turn that into opportunity out of the secondary until now and yeah. so when you have those pieces that's that that is precisely what Penn State wants yeah i, I just i think that there's been and Dave i want you to chime in here Jaquan Brisker obviously has been a big name and has been a huge part of the secondary. What would you say is the non-Brisker MVP so far for the secondary or for this team? Um, you know, I think you look at the big changes, uh, the the personnel changes. I mean, and you look at Tariq Castro Fields, and they they did not have Tariq Castro Fields for most of the last season. 
And I think Tariq Castro-Fields is a guy who throughout his career has been criticized by Penn State fans online in a way that is very unfair to me because I think he's been playing hurt um, a mm. lot. So I, I think I think Tariq Castro-Fields is a, is a big difference maker for Penn State. He's a, he's a fifth-year guy. He's a guy that knows the system. He's a guy, that, guy that's seen this all before. And, you know, he's a guy that's a little bit, you know, angry about what happened last year, too. He's been one of the, one of the more outspoken players. So to me, if you're asking where the change is, who's the guy that's that's making this unit that much stronger, I think it has to be him because he's one of the, the missing ingredients. You, you can point to uh, Tig Brown as well at safety, but to me, I think Tariq Castro-Fields is the big difference maker. Uh, guys, uh, we're going to have to get to some of these uh, questions. Uh, I wanted to make sure we, we spend some time on the defense because their performance is going to be critical going forward. And speaking of going forward, that's what everyone wants to know about in the chat. Ryan is back and he wants to know, I think, the question that's on just about everybody's mind. Uh, it says here, for some reason, it's coming up wrong color here. But it says, is is this going to be a defensive slugfest or can Penn State expose Iowa's defense enough to score points and win? Uh, this comes back to let's have this conversation now, Nate, of can you identify the difference difference between good offense and uh, bad defense or the vice versa or, or the, the reflection of that of which side is actually playing well and which side is taking advantage of a bad unit? Because that's going to be a critical part of what Iowa does is that, uh, you know, my question is, has that Iowa de- offense been exposed yet to a good defense like Penn State's? Iowa's offense is what it always is, which is not good. <laughs> like they're just, they're not dynamic. They don't want to be like, that's we, we right. Like you get, you get hung up uh, in the numbers. Their total offense is 118th in yards per game, 320 yards per game. And now granted, there are some situational elements to that, right? Like on Friday night against Maryland, uh, they had the ball. They were starting with the ball at Maryland's 15 yard line, right? Like uh, there are only so many yards that you can get if the other team is going to give you the ball on their side of the field. Um, but no, like I, I just Iowa wants to play a ball control game. They they right like uh, I'm not saying it necessarily has to be time of possession, but I don't think that it's an accident that they're 17th in time of possession right now. Right. nationally that is that is what they do uh and so the it's just about are is Iowa capable of putting points on the scoreboard against this Penn State defense and vice versa is Penn State's offense capable of putting points up against Iowa's defense to me I know where my odds would favor right like I, th- I think that if I'm putting Penn State's offensive athletes up against Iowa's offensive af- athletes and vice versa, the defense versus the defense, uh, to me, I think there are, are clearly more avenues for Penn State to win this game than there are for Iowa, right? Iowa has to make the game a 20-17 to 17 game to yeah. win unless, unless Sean Clifford's going to turn the ball over, right? Like, there, I mean, y- you can see where this is going in terms of who dictates the style of game that it's going to be. Because if Penn State offensively can dictate that and say, hey, this is this is going to be a game where Penn State gets to 30, then I I, I don't see I don't see an avenue for for Iowa to hit that un, unless Penn State is just giving Iowa possessions again, which is something that you have to acknowledge and, and recognize. Iowa has been able to do that. They have been able to get good starting field position based on creating turnovers. But generally speaking, is Iowa capable of pounding out methodical drives throughout the course of the game against this Penn State defense? Uh, I I do not see that. So let's ask that question then. And I'm going to come over to you here, uh, Dave. Has, Has Sean Clifford done enough? Has Sean Clifford done enough? And you, we kind of answered David's question here. I'll put this up here again for David. Thanks again for the uh, for the donation there, David. Uh, is this going to be a situation if they don't get turnovers that um, 
Iowa is going to control the time of possession. They're going to bleed the clock, and it's going to be a low-scoring game. And do you believe, based on what you've seen, Dave, that Sean Clifford will give the ball to Iowa this year? I think he might do it once. I don't think he's going to, you know, I don't think he's going to hand them the ball three or four times like we saw last year. But with that in mind, give it, it just kind of diverting back to the last question. I, I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world for Penn State to play that grinded out low scoring game here and, and maybe play a little bit safer. Use their excellent punter to control the field position and win this game 17 to 10. I don't know if, if that's a thing that Penn state would absolutely hate to do. Um, because again, like I have Iowa's game logs up here, Indiana, three fourths torn turnovers, um, Iowa state four, Kent state one, Colorado state one, Maryland seven. So they've got 16 turnovers so far this season. They've uh, picked up four fumbles. They've forced 12 interceptions and they've only given the ball away four times themselves. So if you're Penn State and you can negate that by making this, you know, the type of game that Iowa stereotypically we associate them wanting to play, and I don't, I don't know if that's the end of the world because look, that's not where Penn State is most comfortable, but it's it's a place where Penn State can take away Iowa's biggest asset, which is the turnover to me. Yeah. So that the the. The Iowa defense, you're right, with that zone coverage is predicated on having their eyes on the quarterback. The quarterback specifically, and we'll get to the offense now, we'll talk about Sean Clifford here on the BWI Live Show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Any questions you have, we'll throw them in the chat if you want to donate to the channel with a super chat like uh, Dave and Ryan. We appreciate that very much. We'll get to your questions. We'll throw them up here on the screen. Don't know why they're coming in a, a weird color today, but uh, make sure that you get recognized. Listen, dude. I only know so much about technology. Like I am a I'm a show host and a part time uh, operator of technical things. So I I, I want to see those questions. <laughs> Me too. Like it's hard to read them. <laughs> so, but we do appreciate you getting in uh, the questions in the chat. Um, with with the uh, offense and Sean Clifford, was this the first bad game? for Sean Clifford. He threw for less than 200 yards through his first interception of the season that you can truly say was on him. That was a, a poor decision. Nate, we've been having this long-running conversation here on Mondays about Sean Clifford checking in each week about how he's performing. Is this the first bad game he played this year to you? Um, I, I don't know if bad is the right word. Um, I, I don't think it was great. Right. Like I, I it certainly wasn't his best game. Um, sure. I, I just, right. I mean, it just, it just feels different this year. It just, it, in terms of what he needs to do, uh, to put his team in a opportunity to win, right. Like into a place where it has the chance to win. If you look back at his 2019 season, that was what it was, right? Like he didn't light anybody up right. in the first eight teams. Uh, I mean, he, he right, like he had his moments, but it certainly wasn't uh, an overwhelming type of situation offensively for him. And so I, I just think that, yeah, uh, the, the interception was, it looked to me like Indiana kind of confused him on that play. I don't know what your read uh, was, if that was like a blatantly bad yeah, decision it, to... So I don't know that he misread it. So, uh, you know, without asking him, there are two there are two possible theories to that because this gets into the conversation that I wanted to have after this question about what Indiana is. Yes, they were without Taiwan Mullen and and they were injured in the secondary, but Tom Allen's defense does weird stuff. It, so, all your basic coverages look about the same all the topography of what a quarterback looks at on every given snap across different defenses in college football to your point about quarterbacks defenses aren't that good either compared to like you know obviously professionals so you run basic coverages with players in roughly the same spots until you face indiana and, you know, not that I'm an expert on football, but I spent the last two years, you know, learning in depth about coverages and variations and all these things. And th th I would not have passed that test either. They had seam defenders that were lined up in the wrong places, but executing their assignments correctly. They had brackets and double teams in weird spots. And generally, they communicate and execute effectively. So it was a I, I there's a whole section in the in the uh, in the 
in my film analysis about this that we're, I'm going to write today about Sean Clifford and, and kind of like the throws he didn't take. Because that's part of the story is this is one of the throws he did make where he tried to either fit it in or he didn't see the, the drop defender that came down from his deep responsibility into the flat. So it's one of those two things. He either thought he could fit that ball in in zone coverage with anticipation or he just flat out didn't see the, the safety there. My guess is based on the way he's playing, he thought he could fit that one in because he's <laughs> taken he's taken a, a ne- the next step in coverage diagnostics and being able to see this stuff. But with Tom Allen's defense, I can't be sure of that. I'm giving Clifford the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> That's really yeah. what it looks like to me. Yeah, there was, uh, I, I don't know if you heard this and I don't want to get too far off track, but there was a conversation that Peyton Manning was having last week during the Monday night broadcast about how defenses that do a ton oftentimes will beat you on their mistake, right? Like Mm -hmm. he was saying that, oh, I threw it. I recognized what the coverage was. I made the right decision. That guy missed and messed up his play. He he was not in the right spot or where he was supposed to be. And that's why he was able to make that play. So I don't know if that's applicable. there There was literally that happened on Saturday where a coverage defender was trying to get a jam on Parker Washington. It was number 31, uh, Matthews. He, he ran incidentally into the passing lane to Keandre Lambert Smith, where, uh, Sean Clifford read the coverage, right? He threw it to the right spot and a dude's helmet got in the way. There was a lot of that going on on Saturday where you just had some of those situations for Sean Clifford. So, you know, it was a fine enough performance against a tough test. Uh, and, and Dave, I guess that's what I want to ask you about this situation is what were your thoughts on his performance Saturday? And, and what is your general read been on Sean Clifford? I know that Nate and I talk about this a lot, but w- what are your thoughts on how he's played? And again, looking ahead to this Iowa game against a, a defense that's going to play opportunistic football. What, what are your thoughts on the way he's played so far this season? Yeah, I guess my, my thoughts on Saturday, like, it, it just the shrug emoji, right? Like, you know, it was fine. <laughs> it worked. I went to the, uh, I went to the Indiana, uh, press conference afterwards. Um, and they were talking about how his scrambling ability was a real problem for them. Um, which I think is something that we sometimes forget to talk about, um, on the Penn state side of things. I think he had 58 rushing yards. If I've got yep, yes. 58, 10 attempts for 58. Um, and just generally, you know, he moved, he got outside of the pocket and made some plays too. So, uh, that's something that I think we have to factor in when we talk about Sean Clifford. And I don't know if we always do that. Um, so I just point. wanted to, to throw that in there, but he, generally I think he's been fine. I think he's taken the step that he's needed to take and, and, and the results have shown that he's not giving the ball away, or at least it, it's usually not his fault when he does. I think this is the first um, interception where you can really fault him for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's been good. I think, you can feel all right about Sean Clifford going into Kinnick on Saturday that he's not going to lose the game for you. And based on where we were, and I think that's all Penn State needs, right? Yeah. I, does Penn State need Sean Clifford to go, you know, turn into, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers? No, they just need him to play fine football and and the better, you know, parts of, the, of their team will carry them through if Sean Clifford doesn't kill them. That was everybody's, you know, kind of idea heading into the season. And I, I, I feel the same going into going into Iowa. I think he's taken that step. He's not going to lose the game for you. So let's talk about everyone's favorite thing, the offensive line and the running game. Uh, and by the way, if you have any questions about this, I'm sure there are some opinions out there in the chat about what you want to know about the Penn State rushing attack. Was it enough Dave I'm going to come back to you was it enough on Saturday 209 yards rushing were they as good to you as that number indicated not really uh because they couldn't get it done in the short the short yardage situations where they needed to that said is is does that number represent some progress absolutely um we saw Kevon Lee have a big run I, I don't remember exactly how many yards it was but that might have been their first like big rushing play. I believe it was the their season. first explosive designed run play of the season. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's obviously a positive. Um, you know, I think John Lovett did some good things again. Um, but yeah, just the the short yardage. Okay, it's third and two. We need two yards. Got to be able to do that. 
um, and, and they didn't. And you saw Penn State also try to address those situations, those short yarded situations in ways that were more creative. Um, that's something that James Franklin was asked about this week. And, and I don't really think those worked either. So with, with the, the running game not reliable in, in that facet, I, I think that's a concern and that's something that needs to get fixed. Okay, so let's I, I to me the the focus of our run game conversation this week needs to be on the tailbacks. Uh, because I thought there were some some steps forward for the offensive line. You mentioned Kevon Lee's long run; those were both good blocks by pulling players on. And Caden uh, Wallace had some good blocks on the right side. Then you get into the short yardage situations, and you get into uh, the guys that are running the football. Nate, is the hot hand method working for this team? And how much of these problems could be solved with a healthy Noah Kane? Yeah, uh, I don't know what other choice they have, right? Like, I don't, I don't think anyone. And this is a talking point that we've had really through the course of the season, and even going back to the preseason, that no one, no one has differentiated themselves at that position. And yeah. until that, right? Like Noah Kane had, or they thought that he had, but he's not healthy, and it's kind of obvious that he's not healthy um though i do think that penn state is going to continue to play him because there are non-ball carrying attributes and strengths that he brings to the field that the others don't uh do you think do you think though given what they need out of the position. And I understand that, that that is that is a part of it with the pass protection and being reliable. I think that's the biggest thing with, with Noah Kane is that in all these facets, he's reliable. But is he reliable if the primary function is to get the yardage necessary? Is that is that outweighing the benefits of resting him until he's healthy? And, and do you think they should shut him down and let him recover from whatever it is? Now, that's knowing that we don't know what the injury is and that might not even be a thing that happens this season. Like there might not be enough time for whatever it is to heal. So what are your thoughts on that of shutting him down and having him be healthy later? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that they missed the window to shut him down. Uh, sure. Because I think they, need, I think they need him now. I mean, I, I don't just given the physicality that you're going to expect from Iowa and that he would at least to me be Penn state's most physical back. Uh, right. You're going to find yourself in those short yardage situations and you need a couple of yards and, uh, they have to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like those, uh, moving the chains in those situations is going to be important for Penn State in this game. And hurt or not, I still think that he's probably going to be what Penn State considers to be its best option. And the second element to it is you don't appreciate that pass protection until Sean Cl- Clifford breaks a leg because he got hit from the black, right? Like, right. Uh, right. Right. Like you don't, it's, it's a, it's an understated and underappreciated element of the game that isn't noticeable until your, your quarterback, uh, you know, uh, fumbles the ball on a sack, you know, if not an injury. So no, I mean, I, I think that it's a little bit of a complicated situation, but I also think that Penn state, the key stat to me on Saturday from the running game was, uh, and now I'm going to mess it up, 144 yards on eight carries. That's like, that's what Penn State wants. That's, right. That's the element. Free. That's the element that's been missing. Right. And, and Dave, that's Correct. what you talked about with the, with the, the big plays. And I want to go back to this then, because this is what, um, what Ryan asks is like Dave mentioned with Cliff's ability to extend plays, does that add a new wrinkle to the offense where he can run more if needed? Uh, Dave, do you think that that is an element to get some explosiveness out of the run game on a consistent basis, not necessarily as a, you know, a, a rushing out of a passing play? Yeah. I mean, maybe, um, I think, I think doing it consistently might kind of, uh, I, I guess it, it kind of removes the element of surprise, which I think is a factor, you know, if, if he does it once or twice. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that you want your quarterback. Cause again, we know that Penn state's backup quarterbacks are not reliable and are not guys that they feel great about. There's not 
experience there. So is that worth, you know, an explosive extra explosive running player to a game to risk Sean Clifford getting at, you know, adding six or seven hits to his game total? I don't know. You know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the thing that you have to playing with fire. So that I don't know. My answer to that question is a very distinct. I have no idea because there are some some balances there that you have to strike. And I'm, I'm not sure how to do that. So I, 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 I guess I would kind of lean toward what they're doing now. Um, occasionally, if there's space, maybe not doing the designed runs that we saw them do a ton of last season when they just kind of gave up on on throwing the ball down the field. Yeah. But uh, so the, the problem with this, Ryan, is that uh, what it does is and I've said this for a while is if you're going to run a guy like Sean Clifford, he breaks angles, not tackles. So you need to have guys at bad angles. And that just comes back to and yes, it is it is a part of the of the conversation about the running game of the running game proper. If you don't have enough of a threat there, people are going to remember that Sean Clifford is the run game. And then that's where you get the bad hits. That's where you get the quarterback powers where he's running between the tackles or or you've got guys over pursuing because they don't respect the the running back and the tailback option on a read option. Um, that is, I think, a, a tough place to be because that's where you are getting into your cheat codes. And I've always said if you're running the quarterback enough, it's because you're overcompensating for something that isn't working. Um, has uh, what's your Nate? What's your read on Kevon Lee so far this year? Because that's the other half of this conversation. Is, is I on the post game show? If you want to check this out, post game show I do with Tom Hannafin. We talked a lot about Kevon Lee, and I went in depth of yes, Brenton Strange missed his block at the one yard line. But it's the one yard line and he's 240 pounds and he could not fall forward. To me, that's that's a problem. If he is if Noah Kane is not healthy, he is not healthy. And, and Nate, I, under, I respect what you're saying about him being the team's power back, but he has no power. And you've got a guy that's right. 240 pounds that does not run in short yardage situations. Well, how do you how do you navigate this particular problem? Well, I, I mean, I think that. That's kind of the point, though, about Clifford and what he brings to the right. Like, I, right. I would say I don't think that there's any question in my mind that Sean Clifford will have a 20 plus yard scramble at least once on Saturday at Iowa. Right. Like that is an element of his game that I expect him to have. And something that I wrote about after the game on Saturday that I thought was super interesting from uh, what James Franklin t- talked about in his post game was sh- Clifford is extending plays to the sideline and Dotson and his receivers are doing a good job with him, right? Like, yeah. so he, he has done an excellent job of putting that linebacker, that safety, what have you, that defender in conflict between coming up to stop the run versus right to, and leaving his man in the process versus going back and playing coverage and allowing Clifford to get those yards on the ground. Um, And so what I think that Clifford has done a great job of this season in particular is going with the pass, right? Like he's, he's, he's passed the ball in situations that in the past uh, he probably would have run and tried to pick up, you know, the four yards, because if you, if you look back at Penn State scoring touchdowns on Saturday night, two of those out of the three were from that, exact situation right the 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 completion to Dotson for 30 yards was just a little dump off on fourth and four that uh Clifford could have run for the first down but Dotson was there it took the avenue and went with it uh and the same thing on the strange touchdown that was a play that had been extended and Brenton went, went with him and uh, rather than trying to run for the touchdown, he was able to get strange uh, the ball in that situation. So sorry for the tangent, but back to Kevon Lee. Um, <laughs> no, he's. Uh, I just think that Penn State's problem goes. It's not just him. It's it's just inconsistency. Yep. Nobody yep. is doing the same thing every play. Right. Like you cannot expect the same level of performance from any of these guys from on a play to play basis. And that's a really fair point. 
And that's the that's the thing that gives an offensive coordinator, I think, nightmares, right? Because you're just you're just not sure. Like what what are your best options? Because on Lee's 44 yard carry, he hit the hole and yep. he made a play. That 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 was not a an express lane, right, on the highway for him to to get through, right? He he made a cut and slipped through a, a good block. But if that can't happen every time that he touches the ball or at least have good numbers, right? Have good odds on that happening. Then you find yourself in a bind because yeah, you went with that option over maybe something in the passing game that has been to date more reliable yeah. and, and a, a more consistent approach. So no, I'm not, I mean, look, like I, I just, I will go back to the same things that I said when, coming out of Villanova, it was right. This like crisis of identity that Penn state couldn't run the football. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's how Penn state feels. It has to win. I don't right. think it feels as though it has to be, it, it has to average five yards a carry on 40 carries to win a football game. It but, just needs, it just needs those eight carries for 144 yards. Like, if right. that if those eight for 144 are there, Penn State's going to win the football game. So how do they solve, do they solve the short yardage situation then? Because I believe that's the issue that a lot of people are concerned with when it comes to uh, this rushing attack and their ability to. It's funny to say, but generate drives, seeing as they've they've had more drives of nine and nine plus yard nine plus plays that have resulted in points. Last year they had all kinds of drives that were 13, 14, 17 plays that they either got a field goal or nothing. This year they're scoring points, but when it comes to that short yardage situation, Dave, is this something Penn State fans are just gonna have to live with? Or is this something that they can find a workaround for somewhere else in the offense? I think um, especially at the goal line, you're seeing the workaround. It's Tyler Warren in the Wildcat. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, and I wonder if maybe they'll start to to branch that out a little bit. And, you know, when it's third and one at the 40, maybe we see Tyler Warren. I, I, I don't know. Um, but That's a fair I, point. I would be, yeah, I would, I would be interested in seeing that for sure. Um, especially because if you're comfortable with him throwing the ball, which he was a high school quarterback and – I don't know the level of comfort Penn State has there, but presumably, you, you know, it's it's better to have him do that when there is more space on the field. So I, I'm I'm interested to see if they expand that, and I would not be surprised if they did, based on what we saw in short yardage situations this week. And I think this week they tried some unconventional things in short yardage situations, throwing the ball, taking taking a couple deep shots that that didn't work. So I wonder if they try to add another layer of creativity to that. Got a couple more questions coming in. Want to make sure we get to them. Thank you again, David. And he wants to know, uh, with Iowa and Indiana providing uh, defenses that confuse the quarterback, is PSU able to move the ball aside from a few third down calls? How do you see that impacting this weekend as far as if, if Iowa can do what Indiana did to Penn State. I think that's what he's trying to say. Iowa, they both try to confuse the quarterback, and Penn State was able to move the ball aside from those third downs. Do you think that's going to be what happens going forward in this game next week? And Nate, I want to go to you with that question as far as, do you think that Iowa defensively can slow down Mike Yursich? Because I think that's really the matchup there that I'm interested in is how does Mike Yursich attack this zone defense for Iowa? slow down yeah i i think iowa can i i don't know if they will but it, i mean it's in in a lot of ways it the the methodology is different but what they're trying to do is the same as penn state in terms of make a team beat you by plotting along down the field right i i think that i think that iowa has traditionally and in the past for Penn state made those things very difficult, right? Like, I, I mean, I remember the, the 17 game where trace McSorley was very obviously th frustrated through the course of the game because they yeah. could, they could move the ball kind of between the twenties. But uh, after that, it's just, it's, it's very difficult to get into the end zone against these guys. Uh, and I would anticipate that that's probably going to be a similar circumstance on Saturday afternoon. It's just, it just remains a question to me of 
does Penn State have the athletes, and I think that they do, to break off the long one, right? right. To because to, you're not gonna you're not gonna live on that all day, right? You're not gonna have ten passes of thirty or more yards. Like that's just that's just not gonna happen. But you might only need two. Right. To, to win a game, right? Like to win a game against an Iowa team like this, that might be enough. So no, I mean, I, yeah, I would, I would guess that if, if, if it turns into that type of a game, Penn state should not feel panicked. And I think that this kind of echoes the point that Dave was making earlier. When your punter is as good as Jordan Stout is, when your defense is as good as this Penn state defense is, you can get into a game like that and know that you've already won a game like that at right. Wisconsin. Right. You've already had success. Like the, it, so that might not be the identity that Penn State wants to have offensively. That might not be its preference, but it it has already demonstrated that it can succeed uh, in those types of environments. Oh, and by the way, even though uh, I am not the most expert technician while doing this and while hosting the you show, I also, I also fixed it. Uh, so now we got James S. who we can clearly see what he's asking. Uh, what are the best <laughs> ways to attack Iowa's cover two, given the personnel and strengths Penn State has? Um, this is something I got into today on the BWI Daily Edition about how Mike Yurcich is good at scheming up easier throws for the quarterback. But the main thing that you're going to want to see from Penn State is the offensive line blocking those power edge rushers for Iowa. If they can keep a clean pocket for Sean Clifford, time is the best thing against the zone coverage team. Because as Nate has pointed out, they are good athletes, but it's Iowa. And they do that thing where, okay, so you should be 240 pounds? Great, be 275. And you, you lose a, a, a percentage of speed every time you do that. Uh, AJ Epinesa was one of the best pass rushers in the Big Ten. He becomes a full-time starter, 280, less effective, but great. He's good against the run great so that's what you're going to get from iowa is you're going to get big physical strong players they want to control the game at the line of scrimmage with just four they want to do what uh penn state did to indiana to penn state this coming week but the question then becomes do you have you know when, when it's not a team that's injured and has recruited as well as penn state and has the athletes can you do that are you good enough at toughness and intelligence and physicality to out uh, athlete the athletes that way? And, you know, that's what Nate has been saying this whole show is, can Penn State out-athlete them? And to me, it comes down to the protection that Sean Clifford has because he's shown an improvement. And again, check out the BWI Daily Edition for my breakdown of that. In those areas when he needs to take uh, advantage of those situations, he has been able to. So that is what I'd say is they need time because Mike Yersich will get guys open in the secondary, especially against more conventional zone coverages. Because, again, I thought I knew what I was getting into in the film review. Uh, of Tom Allen's defense, and it looked like uh, somewhere between a Rorschach test and an Impressionist painting as far as what I'm used to looking at. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes here on the show, so if you want to ask any more questions about uh, either the game last weekend, Penn State in general, or coming up against Iowa, we'll, uh, we'll get to those questions here in a little bit. Guys, uh, quickly going back to the game uh, against Indiana, what was your game, who would be your game MVP as far as the, the Penn State side of the ball? Nate, I'm sorry, Dave, we haven't heard from you in a bit. Let's start with you. <laughs> sure. Um, I went with uh, Joey Porter Jr., um, I thought he was extremely impressive. I thought he was really good in coverage. I thought he made some really good plays, um, tackling in space against some of the athletes that Indiana has on offense. And of course, you know, he kind of got under that rainbow from, uh, I think it was still Penix at the time. Yeah, it was still Michael Penix, um, and, and came away with his first collegiate interception. It was kind of like a outfielder coming in on a, uh, on a shallow fly ball and like slid and made the play. It was a, it was a nice play, but I really wonder what on earth Michael Penix was doing with that throw. But uh, I think, yeah, praying. Give, yeah, that seems what he <laughs> yeah. like, what he was doing all night. But uh, yeah, I'll give it to, to JPJ. Uh, let's go to you, Nate. Who was your game MVP against Indiana? Dotson. I thought, you know, just what you would expect. I mean, that, that he made that 30 yard touchdown look very easy and the back of the end zone catch was also like 
better, I think, than people appreciate. Um, it, it just he just catches everything, and he is a, a quiet guy. But I, I think that the season that he's putting together speaks very, very loudly uh, about just how good he is uh, right now. And I got to once again shout out PJ Mustafer for having a dominant performance. As both of you guys talked about, the fact that the Penn State defensive line stonewalled the Indiana rushing attack made it so they could do just about anything. PFF had him with five stops. He is now second in the nation in terms of stops from defensive tackles. He is second in the nation in total tackles by a defensive uh, interior player, and he is playing like that. Uh, you know, this is this is the guy that you saw all the way back to his freshman season, this is the sort of potential that he had. Has he been perfect? No. But has he been the reason Penn State's rushing defense has been good when it's been good? Yes. And and his ability to stop all of that in the interior and really make it all put on Michael Penix's shoulders, which, as we saw, they didn't hold up. Uh, that is exactly the game plan that Penn State wanted from that team. You mentioned uh, Jahan Dotson. This is one of those areas against a good defense, and a lot of this does come into what we've talked about already, but my closing sort of question is, uh, Nate, did was this the first game that nobody but Dotson really stepped up to help the passing attack? Because it felt like it was mostly Dotson, and then guys were here or there, but no one was consistently there to help the offense move the chains. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think that... Um that inconsistency is part of the developmental process. I don't think that Parker Washington had a great game. Um, and Keandre Lambert Smith is that's, that's what you expect. I mean, he's going to take a couple steps forward, maybe one step back. So yeah, I, I think that that's probably true, but I also think that Brent strange had a touchdown reception. Um, you know, that Penn state needs to get its tight ends more involved in the passing game. And yes, the second and third receiver uh, need to create uh, again, like the big play, right? Yeah. Because you've got, you've got the possession receiver you've got right. And, and John Dotson can make the big play. Yes. Like absolutely. But they need Keandre Lambert Smith to stretch the field. They, they need somebody who can do that from an explosive play potential. And, and they have done it in the past. They have demonstrated that they can do it. Uh, it's just being able to put that, on the field game in and game out. And so that's, I mean, I don't think that there's any question that Penn state will need a better performance from those guys this weekend than it got on Saturday. Dave, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball here. I'm going to rephrase the question. Who is the player that steps up and is that number two against Iowa? Who is the guy that comes in and helps out Sean Clifford? Uh, and then I want a full film breakdown of how that's going to happen because that's what that's what everyone wants that's what everyone wants so let me know um i'm gonna pass on the film breakdown but <laughs> uh I'll, i'm gonna maybe pull one out of left field theo johnson i think uh might be the guy because he's a, he look he's making explosive plays he kind of quietly had a uh a catch for 20 yards against indiana where he broke a tackle um and and actually i think this is kind of what david's talking about a little bit here david's connecting uh with the brain um but uh i i think he's an athlete i think he's a special athlete and he's the kind of guy that can make a difference against a really good defense like iowa's nate was talking about it right does penn state have the the guys the athletes who can kind of break out of this shell that I was going to put them in. And I think Theo Johnson was one of the, the guys who can do that. And he's, he's shown that he's capable of the explosive throughout the season, even if he's not getting a ton of opportunities to do it. Um, I, I think maybe uh, this might be the game where he gets several opportunities and, and makes use of them. So this is an interesting uh, question. And, and you, you bring that up, I think it's a good point that when Theo Johnson is out there, he has to be a passing threat. This is a situation where, if you noticed in the Indiana game, what Penn State was doing is they would line up in five wide, and they would bring the back into the backfield and then the tight end. And one of my problems that I've always had with that is when you do that, you're bringing guys back into the box. So if, you're, if your point was to get a safety uh, matched up on a, on a tight end or somebody that's smaller and more athletic... 
teams are going to figure that out depending on down and distance. But you have to have, and this is what Dave is saying, and this is uh, what David, I think, this is the answer to your question. Theo Johnson and Bretton Strange have to pose enough of a risk that you cannot put a linebacker on them. You cannot put a linebacker on them, whether they're lined up wide or in the slot. You have to dedicate an actual coverage player, and that will dictate that they go to a different base personnel to get one of their big guys off the field and help out in the box. I think that would be a good way to answer that question as far as how did the tight end specifically help the running game through the passing game. Uh, That has yet to be something that teams have done against Penn State because it's been intermittent their ability to make those plays in the passing game gentlemen final thoughts we're going to wrap up here on the bwi live edition thanks to everybody who asked questions thanks everybody who's watching nate what are you thinking about going into tomorrow's press conference with james franklin uh two things one i just want to answer this one question because i know it uh about who's in the booth for penn state uh offensively with your six down on the field it's ty howell uh howell has called plays previously in his career uh, was an analyst, obviously working at Penn State last year. And so he's the guy on the headset. It's uh, just by off chance. I know that because James Franklin was talking about it on his radio show uh, last week. Um, so that's that's that. Uh, this week and Penn State is, look, like, I, I mean, I, I just, I think that the storyline will kind of remain the same and maybe more so in in the sense of Penn State's mature approach right? Just having a consistent, uh, like that's you, you cannot make mistakes against these guys because they will make you pay. And that has been the identity that Penn state has had so far this season is limiting mistakes. Just, just right. Playing within themselves, um, and, and not putting themselves into adverse situations outside of the interception that Clifford threw on Saturday night. They've done an excellent job of that. And so they're just going to need another week of preparation in which they build on that and build on that element uh, going into this game against Iowa. Uh, Last word to you, Dave. And I want to throw this in here before that coming in just under the bell. Compliments are always going to be recognized. So thanks, Stephen, for your appreciation of the work we're doing here on the BWI live show. Dave. Your, th- your thoughts about what you're thinking about going into the week against Iowa, a top five matchup at Kinnick Stadium, the grand time of 4 p.m. Prime yeah. time. <laughs> thank thank goodness, because I'm still half asleep from the Indiana game, if I'm being honest here. But uh, yeah, I guess I, I'm kind of lean with my, my mind is leaning the same way Nate's is. It's can Penn State take care of the football? And I, I guess furthermore, taking it one step can they force Iowa into mistakes? Because look, if Iowa is the team making mistakes here, then this this game is going to be, I mean, Penn State will win this game by two scores. It's it, it, that's I don't think that's a controversial take. So what can Penn State's defense do to maybe take this Iowa offense out of its comfort zone, put Spencer uh, Petrus under some pressure, maybe get them in third and long so that they can't just convert on third and two with a halfback dive as they love to do so much. So I, I think maybe that's something that we should be thinking about because everybody's everybody's looking at it from that perspective. How can Penn State react to what I was doing? Maybe let's take some time and think about how is Iowa going to react to what Penn State is doing? Because there's a non-zero chance that Penn State is the team setting the agenda here. I think they've shown us that they're capable of doing that. So, Well said. That'll do it today for the BWI Live Monday show. Thank you to everyone who showed up today. Thank you, everybody, who participated in the chat. We love having your reaction, your questions, and your feedback. We'll be back here every Monday to recap every game uh, going forward. So we'll be back next Monday for the top five showdown between Iowa and Penn State. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Make sure you listen to all the other stuff we got going on on the YouTube channel, the BWI Daily Edition, and the recruiting show, which are coming up tomorrow. And of course, BWI Live postgame. These guys, bwi.rivals.com. The October issue is out. Pick it up wherever you get your news uh, at newsstands or wherever you get your magazines and bluewhiteonline.com. We will talk to you later.